0: There is a story of a young child, and this child is learning to swim, and his dad places him in the water, and the kid starts flailing his arms and kicking his feet, and he's completely out of control, and he's completely breathless, and he's so out of control that his dad can't even hold on to him to try to keep him safe in the water. And out of fear that he is going to lose complete control, the dad yells, Stop moving! Stop struggling! And it was then his son stopped, relaxed his body, and realized that he could touch the bottom of the pool. Perhaps we can relate. Perhaps we have been busy going from task to task, from stress to stress, from activity to activity, from need to need, and we're flailing our arms and our legs and we find ourselves completely breathless. Perhaps life has socked us in the gut with an unexpected health scare, leaving us gasping for air. Or maybe we find ourselves doing the hard, slow work to repair systems of oppression and feeling overwhelmed because we just can't get there soon enough, and the web of chaotic winds are around our throats, and we simply cannot breathe. Or maybe, maybe we are so exhausted that we have lost our prophetic imagination, leaving us to believe that what is, is the only thing that can be. And we are wondering if we will ever stand on our own two legs again. I imagine at this point in the journey, the disciples were probably quite breathless themselves. So much has happened in the last 50 days. Jesus' goodbye, his arrest and crucifixion, an event itself accompanied by loud sighs and long wails of grief, But then, his resurrection and continued ministry among them, their shallow, grief laden breathing must have become full and robust again as Jesus resumed teaching them about the kingdom of God. And yet, just as the disciples catch their breath, Jesus left. He was taken out of their sight and returned to the one from whom he came. It must have been heart-wrenching. The wind was simply knocked out of them, and I bet they sowed loudly with, with stress and fear the web of chaos winding around their throats. And so the disciples did what all good church people do in times of fear and chaos, they had a meeting, and they busily began to try to get their game plan together. There was so much to do. They needed to get organized. They needed to choose more apostles to help them with all that work that Jesus had left in their trembling hands. After all, they were now supposed to tell other people about what God had done in Jesus. It was a daunting mission. Loud sighing must have filled the room. And you know anxious looks etched their faces. They could not believe that they were now the ones in charge of continuing Jesus' ministry to the outcast, to the poor, to the powerful, to the sick, but all without his physical presence. It must have been enough to make them scared and breathless. And now we find the disciples at the Festival of Pentecost. Perhaps yet another thing to do on their to-do list. And what is important to remember is that before Pentecost became known as the birthday of the church, it was one of three pilgrimage festivals for Jews known as the Festival of Weeks. It happens 50 days after Passover, which was the commemoration of Israel's liberation from Egypt and the anniversary of the day when God gave the Torah to the Israelites on Mount Sinai. So if you can imagine, the disciples at this festival with a diverse group of spiritual Jewish pilgrims from all over, who speak a variety of different languages from various parts of the Roman Empire, all there to celebrate a new kind of community at this Pentecost commemoration. And suddenly, before they knew what was happening, Out of the blue, these pilgrims hear a mighty wind heading their way. The wind blew through the entire house, filling each of them with a breath that came from somewhere else, from someone else. The wind, the breath, filled them with a power that they did not understand. They had not asked for this breath, nor expected it. This power, this breath, this courage just swooped into the room and filled them up in a way that they could have never predicted. And with it, they discovered a reserve of strength that they did not know that they possessed and once again the disciples realized that they could breathe again and once they shook themselves loose from the stress and the anxiety once they unwound the grip of chaos from around their throats they found themselves speaking of God's deeds in their lives These timid, stressed-out disciples found themselves standing strong on their own two feet, preaching and testifying to who God was and what God had done in their lives. And the people listened. And they came face to face and lung to lung with the gift of God's Holy Spirit, God's holy breath, and they are enabled by the arrival of the lively, creative, unpredictable, and uncontrollable spirit to comprehend a universally understood language. How I wish a violent wind would erupt through this place now and fill us with the Holy Spirit that we hear about in our ancestor's story. How I wish the Holy Spirit would fill us with all the courage in the world to dream dreams and to give us the energy to dance and lift us out of our pain. Oh, how I wish it were big and mighty and obvious. But perhaps, it is not always to be that way. Perhaps it wasn't that the Holy Spirit was big and mighty and obvious on that first Pentecost, but that when the disciples were out of breath, when the disciples were stressed and confused and tired, they came together. They came together just as we come together today. About 50 years ago, when people were tired and out of breath, some of them came together. During the civil rights movement, there was a hesitation to organize in smaller cities, in places like Selma, a place that was known to be too volatile, a place where black families had worked for the same white families for generations, where black women had been wet nurses for white babies, where many people of color didn't think it could be any different. And some even believed that if God wanted them to be equal, God would have made them white. Prophetic imagination had been lost. Not because of anything that they had done But because it is all that they had known, because they were tired, because they had to survive. But a shift was coming, and civil rights leaders like John Lewis and Bernard Lafayette started working, coming together with young people and asking questions. Why can't your parents vote? Why are you drinking out of that blacks-only water fountain? And soon, a violent wind was erupting. Pentecost personified was coming and people were coming together to peacefully protest, to bring attention to voter suppression, and it got people thinking differently. And a new prophetic imagination began to take root of what could be, of what should be, that all God's children deserve equality and value And dignity. I can't help but think that Richmond Hill is not too unlike these Pentecost moments. Friends and half-strangers coming together from different parts of the city. Some of us may even be visiting from other states or other countries. And here we are with our different cultures and traditions and languages and beliefs. Here to seek God's spirit. What a gift it is to experience Pentecost personified, a safe space for all who need it, a place for people to be present to themselves, to God, and to one another, a place to share our grief and to celebrate our joys, to rest in God's presence, to strengthen ourselves toward courageous compassion so that we can do the work that we are called to do, a place To help each other and a city reignite their prophetic imagination. Theologian Brian McLaren reminds us that church doesn't exist for the benefit of its members. It exists to equip its members for the benefit of the world. I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and take a minute to reflect on the work that you feel called to do. You can close your eyes or keep them open. Maybe it is work that you are lucky enough to be doing now and even be getting paid for it. Maybe the work you feel called to is a nudge that you are feeling, but not quite sure that you are ready to respond. Maybe it is work that you are transitioning into. Maybe it is the work that you know you should be doing, but not quite sure how to do it yet. The kind of work where your deep passion meets the world's deep need. And I invite you, if you want, to write it down, to name it, to see it. And if you feel called, speak it aloud. For it will be prophesied. Take heart if you feel too tired to even know what you are called to be doing. That is okay. Just being open to God's Spirit will allow you to one day dream it. My rabbi friend asked me why I like Pentecost so much. I told him it was like a reboot for the church, a reminder that God is still very much present in breath and spirit through us and through the work of the church. As people of Pentecost, God invites us to experience in the fullness of life, which God intends with God's holy breath. We are invited to breathe deeply and consciously in every moment in our lives, breathing, expecting to be filled with God's spirit, God's holy breath, that same Ruha, that same breath that was at work in creation expecting to be changed by it as it fills our lungs, expecting that we might see things we could never imagine seeing or speak things that we did not think we had the courage to say. We have the ability, and dare I say the responsibility, to help bring the light of Christ into the world. And let us remember that as long as we are here and we dare to pray, we will find our own lungs filled to the gills with courage and a reserve of strength, a passion of faith that we did not know that we had. So, dear friends, may God pour out God's Spirit upon you to see and to dream and to prophesy.